0: Ball. Bounces it out to Keontae Johnson. Johnson plays places the basket. Basket slammed up, and he was fouled. Oh my! Keanu Johnson drove the ball into the middle of the lane, and then dished it off to Bassett, who dunked it home. Here's.
1: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman on today's show. Eric Fawcett. GatorCountry.com and myself will break down Florida's NCAA tournament round of 64 victory over the Nevada Wolfpack, and we will also preview uh, the second round game against the Michigan Wolverines at tips at 5 o'clock tomorrow in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, We hope that you uh, enjoy the show, and obviously uh, congratulations to the Gators on on a hard-fought NCAA tournament win. It's hard to win in March, and um, for the fifth time in three seasons, the Gators have won a tournament game, which is Um, Quite good, and and hopefully uh, they can get to the second weekend. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I am Neil Blackman, and I am with Eric Fawcett of Gator Country. We are going to break down Florida's... Round of 64 NCAA tournament victory over the Nevada Wolfpack. Last night in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, And and we're kind of starting an unusual place with with how Nevada got back in the game in the second half. Uh, Nevada. (laughs) Nevada, Nevada. Um, I wanted to offer kind of an opening thought, you know, at the top. Obviously, I think – getting to the second round with a team that at one point in the season was 12 and 11 and looked pretty lost is a, is a good accomplishment Um, at Florida. You know, I think our listeners know, if you've listened to us, the expectations at Florida are to compete for a a chance to play on the second weekend and, and to compete for SEC championships. And uh, Florida did not compete for an SEC championship this season, but, They'll get a game Saturday for for the second weekend. Um, And I think once you get to the second weekend, uh, anything can happen. But to put in perspective uh, what Mike White's um, fifth tournament win in four seasons means just compared to the rest of the league, uh, only Tennessee and Kentucky have won more NCAA tournament games the entire decade. That's in the last 10 years than White has won in his first uh, for Florida. So I think, you know, Mike is showing that, that he can win in March. And um I really thought the Gators had an excellent game plan last night and executed it most of the evening, except for the big stretch where Nevada managed to get back into the basketball game. So I'm gonna let Eric uh give his introductory introductory thoughts on the on the win and kind of uh, start with um where Nevada was able to get back in the game.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you look at how Florida just got that lead uh, that they kind of ballooned. It was playing at their pace. It was getting – it was actually pretty interesting. Florida actually got into a lot of really deep shot clock situations offensively, uh, but we're still hitting shots. And that's what was, uh, was kind of really interesting was like, yeah, they were really kind of getting wound down to the seven, six, five 6, 5 kind of mark of the, of the shot clock, and we're still kind of being able to put up points. And that's somewhere that Florida hasn't been um, hasn't been very effective this year is is scoring there at the you know it, kind of in the clutch. So uh, so they're putting up points, kind of working through their offensive sets and getting the ball moved side to side. Um, that's how they kind of get their lead. But with uh, with Nevada to go to that pressure, it it just totally goaded Florida into playing faster. And there was just uh, there was a number of possessions where they'd get past the first level of the press, and then Keontae Johnson would kind of see himself on a three on two and just uh, find himself at the free throw line and say like, Oh, like this is probably uh, this floater is (laughs) enticing. This is something I want to take. And he got kind of goaded into (laughs) some quick shots there. Um, Or he dumped it down to Dante Bassett the one time who kind of found himself near the rim and um, it was kind of, you know, went up and got blocked and uh, just kind of, yeah, Florida just got really kind of um, sped up in a game where they started by really slowing the game down effectively. And that's what kind of got them a massive lead. So um, I wasn't super stoked with, uh, with the way that they addled that pressure for sure um, that was kind of the first time they looked like a young team playing against a really old team up until that point I mean Nevada looked like the young team uh, which was hilarious given their given their just massive amount of experience level but just the way that Nevada kicked the ball around in the first half and took really bad quick shots uh, I mean it was Florida those like like the more experienced team uh, but yeah Florida definitely um, uh, Florida definitely looked like a young team there during that second, uh, second half push by Nevada. Um, and then one thing, just the last thing I'll say about that push that I thought Nevada did really well was they were just all out denying Andrew Nemhart the basketball at all costs. And I think that that um, one worked for them because it was not Andrew Nemhart struggling to move the ball versus that pressure. Um, it was, it was a lot of the other guys, a lot of the other guards. And, and when it got pushed up to a, uh, to a Bassett or a, um, or a Keontae Johnson, and, uh, I mean, it also just shows the uh, just kind of utmost respect that that team had for Andrew Nemhart where they knew that, like, oh, yeah, like, he'll be able to handle this pressure, but um, the other guys can't. So um, you saw them just doubling Andrew Nemhart and, and just allowing the ball to go into someone like Dante Bassett or, or Kavari Hayes when he's on the floor. And then someone else would someone else would rotate, um, but not not whoever was on Nemhart. They are just denying him the entire way. And uh, to be honest, I thought that was a really good strategy. It worked really well for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was going to, uh, to, to add to that, you know, all three of Florida's what you would think of as their most capable ball handlers, Jalen Hudson, uh, Allen and Nimhard. of those three, you know, both Hudson and Allen kind of had their trademark turnover. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and to, to Kayvon's credit, uh, he chased it down and, and contested. I mean, I think the, 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 uh, I forget which Martin twin it was, but, you know, I thought that he just missed the dunk, but I think that Allen chasing him certainly sped up the dunk. So, uh, I'll give cave credit for that. Keontae Johnson broke a couple presses, which was nice. Like Eric said initially, but to give you an idea of how effective, you know, Nevada's pressure was, I mean, it's not just Florida players that were doing like, I was interested that like hall of fame or Reggie Miller, who's on the call. Um, you know, a couple different times. was like insisting that Florida take shots and like, Oh, you have to take that shot. And like, while I understand from a, you know, a hall of fame pros perspective, why you might want to take an open triple, you know, that's kind of what Nevada wanted Florida to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and so, I mean, know, also it remember- was interesting that, Let's also remember Reggie Miller yeah, just learned what a hook and hold was for the first time on last night's broadcast. If we're, you know, talking, <laughs> talking about whether or not he should be in a uh, commentation on an NCAA tournament game. Yeah. But, I mean,
1: look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not correct. It, it's less interesting that it's less a, a commentary on him as a, <laughs> and more is like, it tells you how effective they were from a pressure standpoint that Miller's like initial oh, reaction to that type of pressure was to go, go faster. Because he's just watching the game as a player, I think, which is clearly why he had no idea about a hook and hold. And, you know, uh, (laughs) he needed help on the Jordan-Caroline flagrant one. Um, Yeah, which didn't seem like one where you needed a lot of help because Caroline hammered Hayes in the head coming down. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so that that was kind of what it was. And, and, uh, you know,
0: I just thought the Nevada's effort
1: defensively in the second half was better than anything I'd watched on video.
0: Right. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I totally interrupted you while you are making that really good point. No, no, but, no, uh, no. But, yeah, it's, the point no, Neil was no, saying once I, once I interrupted him was that, um, yeah, the, the, the pressure, <laughs> you know, you want to get, you know, steals are great, obviously, and they had some, some shots going the other way. But a lot of it is just, you know, trying to badger your opponent to taking a quick shot because when you're down 16 and there's nine minutes left, you need more possession to the basketball game. So I, I just – players just have to know, like, Especially in a game that, like I said, Florida was shooting over fifty percent in the first half, and largely was it was largely due to the fact that they were um, working through all their offensive progressions and and using the clock. So, um, you know, I know that that open three is enticing um, for Keontae Johnson just when he kind of beats pressure, but um, the fact that they're shooting so well when they use the clock kind of says like, hey, I can I can dribble this out, I can use fifty more seconds, and I can get a shot that is hopefully comparable or, or just maybe a little bit less, but if it's just um, a little bit less of a value shot, but we've taken 25 seconds off the shot clock instead of five, um, that's still a good trade-off. So um, yeah, I I did think that that press was really impressive. And just like Neil said, I I hadn't really seen a lot of it. They had kind of, um, uh, they kind of pressed earlier in the year when they were just trying to, you know, hammer some, some of their bad conference or out of conference opponents. But um, yeah, I actually thought that looked really impressive for them. And it almost makes me wonder what, they, uh, um, what kind of team they would be if they kind of pressed like that um, kind of all year. Because, uh, yeah, when it got into a half-court game, I mean, I thought Florida just um, kind of out-executed them on both sides of the basketball.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and I want to talk about that. And we, we'll move there. last thought on that pressure was, yeah, I mean, Chris Murray, Nevada Sportsnet mentioned that they had used it to speed Arizona State up and get back into that game. Um, another game where they re- really fell way behind, um, although not 18 points behind, but they were down 12 against Arizona state came back to win by six. So, um, you know, they had done it before the, the thing I'll say, and, and I, cause I want to get into Florida's half court execution. Um, but, but I want to finish with how Florida kind of weathered this, this pressure. And I think a, a lot of it uh, was really Florida not just Nevada missing free throws in particular, when Florida was finally able to score, they were able to switch
0: to a 1-3-1 one, one late.
1: And and I thought Florida's 13 zone was, was really good.
0: Yeah, that was huge. And, I mean...
1: They had to if, score to get in it.
0: If I'm, a, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they had to score. I'm just still thinking about that 1-3-1 one, one, and how Nevada was just clueless by it. And, uh, I mean, I, I know I said this on the other podcast. And I know this podcast is not meant to rag on other teams or... Uh, be disrespectful of their coaches. But, I mean, yeah, Eric Musselman's a really popular guy these days. And, yeah, I kind of – and I, I was, like – I was a fan of him. But once I watched all my film kind of in preparation for the Florida matchup, I just was not impressed by anything they ran. And it kind of, like, totally changed the way I looked at him. And then to see his team just, like, desperately needing <laughs> a score with 40 seconds left and then passing the ball from guard spot to guard spot against Florida's zone – um, for 20 seconds and just essentially losing the game on that possession. I mean, I know that they were still in – they would be in tight to, uh, in tough to win that one. But, yeah, I just uh, – I'm not sure how, they, how prepared they were. So, uh, But, yeah, Florida's offense was uh, – I thought was really good. And um, another thing from my kind of scout of Nevada was the fact that Nevada actually – which you wouldn't know this seeing how they played Florida. Um, but they actually play they, – they play a lot more like kind of like pack line defense where it was kind of all – you know, four guys had a foot in the paint. And then the guy guarding the ball would come out and, and kind of pressure. Um, but I thought that right. I thought that against Florida, they kind of changed that and really wanted to pressure on the perimeter. And um, I, I could see why you want to do that because Florida really cha- has had tough kind of times against teams that have kind of pressured one pass away, pressured passing lanes. Um, but Nevada didn't do that all year, and uh, it just kind of uh, though it kind of looked good for a lot of the shot clock. Um, ultimately it was allowing Florida to get in the paint without a lot of, uh, a lot, without a lot of length around them and they were able to finish. So um, I thought it was a little bit out of character, the way that Nevada defended and it, and it really worked for Florida as they were able to, uh, to get some really good looks at the rim. Um, even on a night where their shots from three weren't falling at a high rate. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause that's, that's important
1: is, is two things, two things to kind of pick up from Eric's comments there or one, you know, Florida gets five for 18 from deep, so they shoot 27%. You know, and we've talked about how they're not a great three-point shooting team despite volume, so they shot the three even worse than usual last night. Um, but they're able to overcome it because they were able to get in the paint and really because Andrew Nimhard was marvelous. Um, it's just difficult to, you know, we saw John Moran have a triple-double, and I think it's important to point out that, you know, Andrew Nimhard was 8-7-6, which is – pretty spectacular in an NCAA tournament game.
0: Yeah. I mean, in a, in a higher possession <laughs> game, uh, I think I would have flirted with, uh, right. Would have flirted with the triple double, but yeah, I just couldn't believe how I just thought, like, I thought he was so impressive last night. I know he's not going to be the first person that jumps out with, like, I mean, that's a, that's a good stat line, obviously, or a great stat line. But um, uh, when you see Morantz, it's looks a little bit less impressive, but I mean, the, once again, like they were just so, so physical with Nemhart. They were kind of allowed to be, um, and uh, just the way that they were denying him the ball in the half court, denying the ball kind of full court. Um, he had to work for, like, everything he had, um, every inch of space. You could tell that he was at the center of their scouting report. It, it was not kind of Kayvon Allen. It was not Jalen Hudson, or at least um, at least what they did, decided to do was kind of play them more straight up. But it was, like, very clear that they were trying to take Nemhart out of the basketball game. And, uh, and he yeah. just battled through contact, playing a ton of minutes while also having to guard um, – a much larger player ISOing him over and over and over again on the other side of the court. So I just could not be more impressed with Angie M Hart's game. And uh yeah, obviously that's kind of the effort that, that Florida needed from their point guard. Um
1: he he only had two turnovers. Uh and I thought you know the one thing that was really excellent down the stretch when Florida did start to make baskets, which again allowed them to get into that 13 uh zone that they like. Um and and White said that they planned to use that zone, that they they used it with success against West Virginia, which was a really interesting comment that he made to the radio show. And and kind of like felt like they could have some effectiveness um with it based on the way they had deployed it in the Jimmy D classic, which was like I thought that was super fascinating. Uh but but um you know, Florida did execute down the stretch and and I think you know, a lot of that was the great decision-making of NIMHARD, And then the other thing that kind of you have to factor in is all those quad one games. I mean, Florida had played these types of games before, and I just thought it was really evident in the last couple minutes that Nevada hadn't.
0: Yeah, I, you actually tweeted this out. I read from the show account or your personal account. It, it actually made me look. I was uh, just up this morning, and it, it made me interested to search. Um, so I went to Ken Palm and just looked up uh, because you had mentioned that um, – Florida was the best defense Nevada had played this year. And I was kind of curious, like, I wonder what the best defense Nevada had played um, other than Florida was this year and the best defense they played. Oh, I'm actually now blanking on it. Oh, I think, it, yeah. So the best defense they played this year um, was against uh, someone in their own conference and that's Utah state who is 45th. So that's the best in, in Ken Palm's adjusted defense. So that was the best. So I think
1: it was Akron actually.
0: Oh, what did Akron have?
1: So, I think it was Akron at 21, but Utah State at 45. And oh, the point about the Akron game that I, I, I think I should have made on the last show was that it was a 68-62 game that was basically a one-possession game.
0: Oh, right.
1: And Akron doesn't dictate tempo to the extent that Florida does, uh, although they do play pretty slow. Um, and that game was in Reno not on a neutral floor. So I thought that was super interesting to me, uh, as was the fact that against top 100 defenses, you know, Nevada was four and three um, entering the game.
0: Yeah. And just like, once again, I mean, just like, just what Nevada runs was just like, not very inspired offense that just all led to um, wing isolations where teams could kind of stack up against it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that works when you're, you know, rolling through the, uh, uh, when you're rolling through the Mountain West slate and uh, they, I mean, there's some good teams in that league, but this was not the strongest year for them. But um, yeah, I just thought that Florida who would like, you know, as I think you mentioned one time it's, it's one more quadrant one games than Nevada has played in. Um, yeah. I just thought Florida was kind of ready for ready for this kind of scenario. And, and Nevada just unfortunately was not.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, Jordan, Caroline, they're two all American candidates. Jordan, Caroline, Caleb Martin, 7 of 33 from the floor. Um, Both those guys were on preseason All-American teams. Uh, Caroline will probably be on an All-American team. They go 2 of 15 uh, from the the three-point mark. Really a bad shot selection out there, I thought, too. And then collectively nine turnovers um, from those two players. Now that's just staggeringly good defense by the Gators. Um, but also kind of speaks to Eric's point that, you know, Nevada, they, they're just they, they're, they're limited in terms of their ideas offensively. And I just think that's a bad thing to be when you play Florida. Um, <laughs> and the other thing was, <laughs> the other thing that, that you know, made the, the biggest difference in the game I thought was uh, pretty obvious, and that was uh, number 13 in blue.
0: Yeah, he played really well. And, and, I mean, the fact that he, I, you know, almost got killed on two separate possessions. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, like, Dave, yeah, like, that hook and hold, like, I mean, I've, I don't, you know, I've, I've kind of joked about the hook and hold rule a few times. But, I mean, the one that, um, I forgot which Martin brother it was. Which one was that? that hook and hold? Hook and held? Cody. Yeah, like, I mean, like, that was actually a, a danger. Like, it's one thing just to lock up with a guy in a rebound, but, I mean, he spun Kavari's Hayes around. Like, that, like, you know, that was, a, as much as they, I, I'm not a big fan of the rule, um, spitting a guy around like that once you've got his shoulder locked, I think that is kind of the spirit of the rule, and that's the exact thing they're trying to take out. So, I mean, that was a dangerous play, and then obviously the he- hefty shot he took to the head was, uh, uh, was pretty dangerous. But, um, yeah, I just thought he played an awesome game. The way he kind of set the tone with um, uh, just offensively even early, uh, it was, was crazy just for him to get some, like, really good finishes inside quick. Um, I think, really helped his confidence. And, and just, again, for a guy whose offense has um, kind of been, you know, a little bit limited through his career and has kind of the reputation, I mean, here are his last games offensively, like 16 points against Nevada on really good efficiency, 16 points against Auburn on really good efficiency, 11 against LSU, 5 for 7, uh, 8 against Arkansas, 3 for 4, 19 points against Kentucky, 8 for 9, then 8 points, 8 points, 14, 8, 10, 9. Like he, for, for a guy that's... I think people like some people think is just, you know, the, the worst offensive player Florida has on the roster. I mean, I know he's limited, but I mean, he still just finds a way to be productive offensively and finish around. The yeah. Hoop. And that was something that he had a very just quiet 16 points last night um, by getting to the free throw line a little bit, but also being able to just uh, um, finish around the hoop. And I thought uh, it's just like, you know, if someone um, just read Florida message boards or Twitter and saw the way people talked about, about Kavari Hayes, I think they'd be pretty shocked Um, by the way he put up 19 points against Kentucky, 16 on Auburn, and now 16 against Nevada in an NCAA tournament game recently.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll tell you what the, it was, uh, I'm going to give Andy Hutchins alligator army on Twitter, I think had the, uh, I don't know where the, the tweet is. I'm looking for it, but, but you just, Uh, rattled off some of the recent efficiency numbers and, and I mean, those are, those are, okay, here we go. Yeah. (laughs) You you just talked about the last five games, but it was, but I mean, 11 for 15, hold on 16 for two. Yeah. I mean, he's like 26 of 35 from the field in the last five games and every single team Florida played with exception of Arkansas in those games ncaa tournament caliber opponent so that's just exceptional and and uh you know and and the other thing he does that um we kind of hinted that we thought that this might happen on the podcast and and florida did it they let him get out there a little bit and defend some of those isolations didn't they
0: right and i mean he moves his feet well and he had the kind of physicality that um when a Caleb Martin or, uh, or, I guess for him, it was, it was like Thurman a little bit more or a Jordan Caroline is that he could kind of take the bump that they give when they kind of drive, um, put their body into you bump and then make a second move. He was kind of able to absorb that. And, uh, and I thought that, that was, uh, that was really impressive. And, and I'm kind of glad that, uh, that Florida did kind of limit their switching. I, I know there's a place for, um, kind of switching in modern basketball, but I think that we'll talk about it, it in just a second. I think, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Let's get let's get right into it. Let's you know where you go on, deal. You
1: know. Uh, no, I want to hear this thought about my switching in modern basketball because it's pretty important.
0: Oh. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, I, 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 I think that, um, yeah, switching has its place. Um, it can really mess up your opponents. Um, it can kind of really mess up the way that your opponent runs their offensive sets if they run complex offensive stuff. Um, but uh, I, I mean, for a team that like like Nevada that just isolates a lot. And I think that we saw that Florida, we kind of got caught switching against a lot of teams that just like predictably posted up a lot so that um, they kind of switched in my mind unnecessarily. That'll, that made a guard have to guard a big. And uh, against the Nevada team, I'm, I'm glad that they kind of stayed at home a little more, um, uh, went through some of the screens to stay on their check. And then when they, when it came time to isolate, Florida's in a good position.
1: So I want to close with the, just the, the bench, um, which was mainly Dante Bassett. Last night, um, Noah Lock hit a big three, uh, which, you know, extended Florida's lead. Um, but 11 minutes from Dante Bassett, some good, some bad. But, you know, I thought altogether, like to have the, uh, the, the you know, I just thought he had mental toughness to go up and get that dunk late after having been stripped once and missing a bunny, you know, within like five minutes of that happening. I kind of, I kind of think that actually speaks to his growth, and you know, Dante did okay in terms of like his situations where he was one on one in isolation.
0: Yeah, I actually thought he moved his feet pretty well on a few possessions, and um, yeah, he had he had some bad moments in the first half, but yeah, he came in the second, and even though he got blocked on a dunk from like the mirrored play on the opposite side of the hoop, um, he got what the a end play. One. He had <laughs> to finish, and that was kind of that kind of sealed it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah after I I didn't think he was very good at all in the first uh, in the first half um, he came in on the second half I thought he, yeah he he played the middle of that one through one zone which is uh, on a couple positions which usually um, for this season has actually kind of been mostly reserved for only when Kevarius Hayes is on the floor just because that guy in the middle has to guard a lot of ground when um, when Florida extends it as much as they do if they played kind of the more prototypical one through one um, it would probably be like fine to put Stokes in the middle of it because he doesn't have to guard he doesn't have to move his feet very often but um yeah for Florida to extend it so much it's usually been something they can only really do with Hayes on the floor but uh but Batson looked really good in it and, and yeah got the really key bucket that they uh, they needed at the end to uh to seal it so I thought he did it really well because um I mean there were some moments for concern for me in the second half of course when Florida was um gave up that lead but I mean when Kavaris Hayes picked up that fifth foul that was another thing that had to be uh
1: Okay, so you were saying there were some moments of concern for you in the first half,
0: or just in the in the second half, of course, with uh, Florida giving up their lead. But when Kavari's Hayes picked up his fifth foul, um, that's what yeah. kind of really concerned me because because Florida up until that point, because um, they had had to take him off with foul trouble on a couple occasions when he picked up his second and, and picked up his third quick, and um, uh, Florida was just not as good. There was uh, with that with Stokes in the game that kind of fueled. Um, a big run for Nevada and, and early with Bassett, um, which part of it was because Bassett was in there against that, uh, against that full court pressure, but uh was put in some situations where, you know, he shouldn't be put in, unfortunately, um, or, you know, like you would not like to have your five men and Bassett there, but Nevada did well to like force him to be a ball handler in the full court. Um, so yeah, I was pretty concerned when, when Hazen out, but Hey, Bassett played a, uh, played a good couple of minutes of basketball at the end to help uh, Florida win. So, uh, good for him like you mentioned to just be mentally tough to uh after a rough kind of first half to come in and be be really effective there uh when they needed the most so you know we talked about Florida limiting
1: their switching in in the win last night. Uh there's a time for switching in modern basketball though, isn't there? And it comes tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> what
0: a polar opposite. Like I I mean I'm I've watched Michigan, you know, a good, good handful of times this year. Um, watched a bunch of games this morning. Um, it's uh, it's Friday morning we're recording. And uh, I just uh, – they are just the polar opposite of Nevada where Nevada just doesn't really run much offensively and Michigan just runs tons of stuff. So uh, just the way that they – the actions that they run away from the ball with screening um, are just very complex Um a lot of them have John Teske setting like the second screen, someone setting a screen for him um, to roll towards the hoop um, while another action is going to swing the ball around the horn. So um, if if you kind of just get caught in switches, they can get layups off you. And um, yeah, I just uh, very impressed with what, uh, with what they do offensively. And uh, yeah, just like Neil mentioned, I, I think that um, this is going to, this going to be a little bit more where I think Florida plays that like almost matchup zone a little bit more or, um, or just kind of plays the man where they switch a little bit more um, just to try to not get hung up on, on all these really complex actions that Michigan runs.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so one thing that I noticed watching will probably less video than, than Eric did. Cause I think I watched like them play Purdue. Uh, I watched three, three, about three halves against three different opponents. And so they play four out and one in and, and they ball screen you to death. Like, Eric said they actually have some like triangle concepts too, but they don't use them as much. Um, and we don't need to get into a, a debate about the triangle offense. That seems like a, an off season debate, <laughs> but they use them a little bit. And um, John B led said, he basically just stole some plays from Brad Underwood. I mean, he pretty much said that after they played Illinois this year, which was funny. Um, but um, the guy that really orchestrates everything is uh, Xavier Simpson. Um, and the reason that they use him so much as their kind of playmaker and ball screens, and he's the guy that plays their most minutes. He's he's the only guy they have. that's 35 mpg. Um, or at least was 35 mpg in conference play, and you know just plays a ton. Is because he's not really somebody that can can spot up. He's not a great shooter, so it makes a lot of sense for him to be the kind of creative hub. Um, and then they have Charles Matthews who is great at attacking closeouts off ball screens. And then they have uh, Teske, who Eric mentioned, um, who, you know, they flash and roll with a lot. And he's kind of their switch buster because they like to run like slip and roll with him. And then uh, Jordan Poole is kind of their other guy that I think is is the guy that I saw. I was actually a little concerned about a dude they have named Isaiah Livers, but I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole about why yet. Um, so the main thing is it's just really hard to guard those ball screens, but I think Florida can probably switch ball screens and, and try to make Michigan attack them in different ways. Um, Michigan State, which was one of the halves I watched in the Big Ten Championship, did this a lot. And Michigan tries to do stuff to disrupt switches. I just mentioned one is the slip roll. Um, they'll also try to use you know kind of like same side ball movements uh, to do it. But the problem that they had against Michigan State is that Michigan State sort of has like two mobile four slash five guys um, who can get, you know, cover those roles. And then they also have, well, they don't have a big point guard. They have, you know, kind of a strong man point guard who's super athletic. And I think you need one of two things against them. You either need a, a point guard with size that's good at moving his feet And then you have to have that mobile five man. Well, guess what Florida has? A a mobile five and and a a big point guard. So Florida, I think, can disrupt some of their switch busting, which is why I think the Gators uh, should switch a bunch. But I'm interested in Eric's kind of perspective on that. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's actually funny because I mentioned something on a show the the other day, I remember, just about how, um, I think I mentioned it here, just about um, these kind of like concept of like wedge ball screens where you like um, to Run these kind of actions in a box kind of formation to do a bunch of switch or, or screening for the guy who's going to eventually screen the ball, just to kind of really mess with the uh, mess with the help side of uh, of, of teams. And uh, Michigan does it better than anyone. Just these uh, these actions that like yeah. look really complex and they are complex, but um, they're really leading into a ball screen. But all the action before it is just to really confuse who's the who's in the help side position. And uh, yeah, it's just funny too. I mean, you mentioned some of their offensive weapons, and and uh, uh, you didn't even have to get to um, Iggy Brasdakis, who's their leading scorer. So they do have a lot of guys <laughs> that are like that can score. And, uh, I was
1: saving him for you, Eric.
0: Oh yeah, he's Canadian, so I, I save all that. Canadians for you. Yeah, uh, but I do I do think uh, Xavier Simpson's a really interesting player because uh, yeah, he's really just not a good scorer at all, uh, in my opinion. Watching him play, he doesn't uh, he doesn't score well on the inside. Um, he's a guy that i think that florida if um like if he's just if they space it out and set a ball screen with xavier simpson or or john Teske, um they have to be just so much more concerned with um it getting dumped down low to john Teske versus um xavier simpson getting all the way and finishing so um what they choose to kind of do with that is really interesting and um uh tesky is tesky's definitely the player that kind of concerns me as a guy who also seems to have shot the three ball pretty well of, of late so far I'm um, a seven foot one player with good hands, uh, uh, that becomes a struggle. Um, but yeah. Uh, and that's the thing is I think that if Florida is, is, gets to be, gets to, gets to switching, I think that they're going to have John Teske dart towards the hoop and post up whoever is guarding him or, um, uh, or, um, you know, Iggy Brazdakis is a, uh, is a pretty big wing with the kind of wide shoulders and, um, he, he kind of likes to feast on, on smaller defenders too. So that's another guy who I think that's, um, I think they might use the Florida switches a lot, which um, I I still think might be the best option for them. But uh, that's, what's kind of interesting about, about switching defenses is uh, um, kind of for so long in basketball, the isolation was considered just like such bad basketball and um, inefficient basketball. But um, now that teams are switching so much, uh, I mean, one of the only, or I shouldn't say one of the only, one of the best ways to attack switches is is just say like, Hey, if you're going to switch this, uh, we're going to put guys that can score one-on-one in these matchups and and Michigan has some of those guys, so um, yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a cause for um, you know. What I'm sure you know at the moment we are recording this podcast. I bet uh, you know the uh, the the Gators War Room is figuring out what they want to do defensively, but um, yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be something to watch for. Yeah, uh, John Beeline, who I think is just one of the best offensive minds in basketball.
1: He really is, and and they you know like like Eric said, they have the the freshman uh, Bras Dakis, who's Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Uh, a guy that considered Florida and and Vanderbilt uh, and Baylor, so Mike White and the Drew brothers, um, and John Beeline, and ultimately, you know, went to Michigan and and has been just marvelous and is kind of a as Eric mentioned, he's just kind of a switch buster, and a little different player than their other primary scorer, who's uh, which is which is uh, Charles Matthews, who's you know I. I don't want to disrespect, like, Dwayne Wade in this respect because he, he's obviously a legendary player. But... So Charles Matthews is kind of a classic Chicago guard, though, in, like, all the ways that Dwayne Wade never was. Like, he's physical. He just attacks the rim. He's an elite finisher at the rim, which is a really good thing in his case because he can't shoot. Um, and then he's just spectacular defensively
0: yeah he is really good and, and just again, as, as you were kind of running through the roster it's, it just reminded me of another you know thing that you and me have talked about that, that Florida has just a big deficiency when it comes to wings and and Jordan Poole and Isaiah livers and Charles Matthews are all just the prototypical um, kind of wings in modern basketball in that like six six range that are long and can shoot a little bit so um, yeah that's a, that is something that um, uh, is going to make for uh, some interesting matchups and, and stylistically but yeah, Charles Matthews just uh, just really has that ability to kind of that's um, uh, just all of them, like you mentioned, with the ability to close out, and it, that's how they can kind of uh, they can kind of get you to is um, if, if uh, they set up some kind of ball screen action that is John Teske getting into the paint or going towards the paint, and you know Florida has to suck in a couple players just to tag the roller and make sure the pass doesn't get there. Um, if they swing it to one of those players who now has to recover and close out, um, they've got these guys that can really attack them. So. Uh, that's going to be a challenge for Florida, I think. Um, I, uh, luckily, this isn't as good of a three-point shooting team as a lot of Michigan teams have been in the past. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Isaiah Livers is pretty deadly, and um, Brez Dacus is pretty is is a really good shooter. Um, you, you, Jordan Pool is decent, but, um, but yeah, there's some guys like Xavier Simpson or, or Charles Matthews that that aren't great, and uh, hopefully they can kind of find situations to uh, to maybe help off them instead of some of the other guys, and uh, and they can kind of limit the three ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, they were national runner-up and lost Bo Wagner and lost uh, Duncan Robinson, and it just hasn't – somebody else, too. <laughs> it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, and, and you know, it's just because they're so good schematically on offense. The one thing that they – you know, you mentioned they're they're kind of – that they, they struggle with the three-point ball, which is – um, I think pretty accurate. And the, the other thing that they don't do really is other than Charles Matthews, they don't have a ton of guys who drive and get fouled. Um, Russ Dacus has gotten better at it as the season has gone along. And then uh, they don't really rebound that great, um, especially on the offensive glass, which I think, you know, if you're a Florida fan, you're probably encouraged by that after just getting bullied by Nevada on the glass yesterday.
0: Yeah, they, they play a really kind of conservative defensive scheme where it's uh, it's kind of like, hey, we're just not going to give up points in transition, um, which I think is is wise analytically in a lot of ways so just not send a ton of guys to the glass. You get back, don't allow teams to run out on you. <laughs> um, but for a Florida team that hasn't been great in transition anyways um, and also can kind of struggle on the glass, it's kind of nice to play a team that um, that kind of plays that scheme just because, yeah, uh, Florida should hopefully be able to rebound the ball and, and it should be a half-court game and um, – Florida wants it to be a half court game, but so does Michigan. So uh, whether that plays into uh, who that plays into, I guess I'm not really sure it's going to be whoever can execute their stuff better, which um, if you're a Michigan fan, I mean, I, I think that you probably think, think you can. So, um, but at the same time, I, I think I would take a team that's uh, I, I think, you know, I, I take a matchup of, of a team that kind of doesn't want to, doesn't want things to turn uh, turn to an offensive rebounding battle because, um yeah, even that's another thing that Nevada did at times. That um, Nevada doesn't offensive rebound the ball a ton, but uh, they kind of decided to send more guys to the glass against Florida and got some extra possessions that way. So um, I, I'm interested to see if they try to say like, hey Teske, you should get on the glass a little bit more and be seven foot one, um, just because Florida doesn't have many of those guys and, and maybe they'll, you know, want to try to get Kavari's Hayes in foul trouble. But uh, yeah, that is that is a good note though that they uh, yeah, they're not looking to offensive rebound a ton.
1: So the other, you know, we, we talked about their offense, and it's kind of a weird place to start with them, but it was really more about how Florida might defend them. And, and again, I think Florida has, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about Florida's roster, the, the structural personnel defi- deficiencies on the roster. And those are all true, and help is on the way, but Florida could use more of it. Um, and John DeLine, as Eric mentioned, has built this roster that's really perfectly suited for the model. That said, you know, Florida does have the pieces that you need, I think, to, de- to defend them with a lot of switching, just because Kamari says and Andrew Nimard kind of fit the mold of how you defend some of those slip rolls and stuff. But Michigan still makes its living on the defensive side of the basketball, don't they?
0: They really do. And something that I find really impressive about the way they play is they, uh, uh, just their ability to run you off the three-point line, uh, but then yeah. also keep you from getting right to the hoop. So that's kind of the the one thing that, I mean, when you've got a seven foot one player in John Teske, who um, I think is just a really, really good defender. I'm a, i am I just, I'm really impressed every time I watch him play. Um, but yeah, so they've got this, uh, they've got these athletic wings that um, just can really close out to you quickly. And they just get right up into you and kind of uh, the only space they give you will be um, a little bit to the baseline or something. Um, and if you take a dribbler to, you know, you see John Teske that's sitting there waiting for you. So um their ability to kind of take away the three-point shot and take away shots at the rim, I mean, we know that those are the highest-value shots in basketball, and they defend them both really well. And uh, and for that reason, they're really difficult to score on.
1: Yeah, they like to, uh, you know, they switch uh, when you ball screen them. That they're pretty, at least what I saw, they're relatively consistent at doing that. And then they hedge a little bit with Isaiah Livers when he's in. And with Teske in particular. And so, like, normally you'd think and, – and we saw Florida do this against LSU, right, where, like, a team hedges and then you get ball movement and you can get an open shot. But it doesn't really work that way with Michigan because they're just so good at at coming off those motions and, and rotating.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to practice – you know, those hedging ball screens so much to uh, to be good at them and also really trust the players behind you. So just the fact that they do it at such a high level, uh, it just really speaks to how good they are defensively. And uh, Florida is going to have to kind of figure out how they can, um, what they can do against these hedging ball screens. And uh, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, uh, a lot of times against teams that hedge ball screens, um, it opens up pick and pop opportunities. Um, but I mean, it's not like Florida is going to yeah. be pick and pop Cavari's um, uh, Hayes and um, i mean the, i i know some people are a believer in the in the jump shot of of dante bassett but uh, it hasn't really been there i nope. don't think and uh, <laughs> and you know an NCAA tournament game i, I don't think that's uh, that's the well you want to draw into um when you uh, are looking for And that. i am a believer next year. <laughs> yeah. Well yeah, well i you know what i i'm a, i'm a semi believer too. So uh but yeah i, I just uh, i think it's going to be up to andrew nemhard to make a, to make a really good pass um, off these off these ball screens where if John Teske hedges and, and pushes him out to twenty seven feet, um if he can just um uh, if Florida can kind of space the floor in a way that he can make a make a pass out of it that isn't just like, hey, let's um let's get around this kind of blitzing screen defender, um, and just says like, hey, let's let's really attack it, uh that'll be big. And if Florida can um Florida can kind of uh make that like you mentioned, just to kind of swing the ball even and maybe hit the roller. So what happens if say Cavarius Hayes um, you know, sets a screen and dives towards the rim and, uh, and John Teske hedges the ball screen and pushes Andrew hard out, he might not be able to have the passing angle to hit um, Kavarius Hayes on his own. But if he kind of reverses the ball quickly to a Kayvon Allen on the, on the wing and he dumps the ball in really quickly to Hayes, um, those kind of dunk down opportunities could be there. But um, uh, in the Big Ten, I mean, you, you just see so many of these just like screen heavy defenses and, and Michigan is so good at defending them. Um, and honestly, Florida hasn't been a super ball screen reliant team this year, especially kind of um, when right. when they went to the more Princeton look. Although they did get into a lot of screen and rolls uh, against Nevada, and it was good. But um, yeah, I, I do think that'll be a, that'll be an interesting way to kind of uh, uh, to kind of attack them. And uh, if if Florida can just get some maybe um, pure switches um, by stringing out those ball screens and, and see if they get you know Nemhart on Teskey. I know Nemhart's not a guy that. Is going to score a ton of isolation even against a matchup like that. Uh, but it could just kind of create some, some scramble situations. And be, Michigan is such a good defensive team. Um, I think you want to just try to create scramble situations because if it's just um, uh, kind of slower measured situation in the half court, um, they're just excellence on that side is probably going to win out. Yeah.
1: And we saw Florida do that. And that's why I brought up LSU is just because, LSU does hedge a little bit, and I don't think they do it nearly as effectively as Michigan. But from a personnel standpoint, the players that they're doing with, with doing it with, um, at least almost everyone except Charles Matthews is a plus athlete compared to with what Michigan has. Right, so you know Florida's seen that look. It's just uh, Michigan's just so disciplined is the main thing.
0: They really are, and I do think that the one guy you could kind of uh, you can kind of get sleeping is is, is Iggy Brasdakis. and he's also he's another guy that's not a plus athlete, and he's really not long at all. Um, so he's a guy I'd be interested if uh, a lot of times they'll play him at the four, and uh, that's the one matchup I I really like for Florida is is Keontae Johnson kind of attacking him. I mean, we've seen Keontae Johnson have to go against, like you said, against even LSU, um, a lot more you know athletic players. Um, I like I, I really think he'll be able to to kind of get the ball around uh, around Bradzicus and I, I'd love to see Florida use him and if they use if they want to use him as a screener um, and you like I like a lot of the reason I think that Michigan is so good at you know defending these ball screens and hedging is a lot of the time it's um, it's, it's Xavier Simpson guarding the opposing team's point guard and Xavier Simpson's a really good defender and it's John Teske as the uh, it's his man setting the screen and he's a really good defender um, so I mean if you're Florida. Um, I'd love to make Brad Davis, uh, whoever you know, whoever he's guarding, if he if he could be the screener, I think that uh, yeah, they're not going to be as good defending ball screens if it's Brad Davis being the the big man out there guarding and not uh, not testing. So uh, the matchup for me to watch is definitely Keontae Johnson. Whether they use him as a screen guy in a screener role or they just use him as a guy who gets the ball in his hands and can look to attack, uh, that's probably what I like most for Florida.
1: Yeah, I don't I, I don't disagree with that at all, and I also think. You know, well, it's a big challenge defensively for Jalen Hudson um, against Jordan Poole, I think, um, just to, you know, make sure that Poole is a guy who can really heat up and you don't want that to happen. But uh, I don't I don't hate that matchup if Florida can isolate Poole.
0: Yeah, I mean, why not? I, I think that, uh, once again, if you're dealing with a team that's so good defensively, um, I think picking on a matchup that you even not necessarily you even love, but just one that you think you might have a slight advantage um, kind of might be better than, um, yeah, than trying to make it a five on five game where, uh, yeah, where they're just kind of great schematic kind of team connected defense will win out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it was, it was also just so good to see those shots fun for Jalen Hudson um, early against Nevada and uh, hopefully he can shoot the ball just the same. And, and, and I mean, if so, that's going to really, uh, really challenge the way Michigan defends and, you know, maybe they'll be, a, they'll change the, they'll change what they do a little bit when he gets the ball. So uh, that is a matchup that's uh yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that one, but that is a really good one.
1: So, I mean, that's kind of our preview of Michigan. You know, I would say this to people is that, uh, you know, like I said at the top of the show, I mean, I think the idea at Florida is to play on the second weekend and compete for SEC championships and, and, um, if you had given me a game against a two seed after the loss of Georgia, if you said, hey, Florida will play a game against a, a two seed that can get stuck offensively sometimes, uh, and that'll be for a trip to the Sweet 16, you know, I, I probably would have taken it. Uh, not not probably. I would have taken it. And, and that's what, as somebody that has the utmost respect for, for what John Beeline has built at Michigan, I think there are just so many parallels to what Billy Donovan built at Florida, um, if we're being quite honest. and and, you know uh, michigan had success in basketball to a slightly greater extent than florida before john beeline um you know comparatively but but i think it's a it's a relatively fair comparison to like a football heavy school that has an institutional commitment to basketball and a coach that has a way of doing things and so it's an immense challenge for the gators but um You know, if people like Jay Billis think Florida has a chance to win, then I would say that they have a chance to win. And I'll be even more encouraged to hear uh, Eric Fawcett's final thoughts.
0: I mean, one thing I do think is interesting, and and not that Florida is built the same as Michigan State, um, but Michigan has played Michigan State three times this year. Michigan State has won three times, and they beat Michigan by more than they beat Florida by on on a game where, you know, Florida, I thought, played not their best basketball. So, um hey if, if it's a if it's a tight game with michigan state i mean michigan state be beat, beat michigan by um by two possessions or more um on every kind of one other of matchups so that's kind of encouraging um a lot of the metrics say that this is uh you know ken palms got michigan by seven um they don't see it being particularly close um but yeah i think that uh, like neil said a team that can just get stuck a few times offensively uh in, in michigan and um you know I think florida's played some teams that kind of profile similar to this this year and and have kept it tight and uh in the ncaa tournament um when things are t- kind of tight it can go either way and uh I think that last night was like probably one of the best games we've seen from or sorry one of the one of the games that we've seen k- uh Kayvon allen and Jalen hudson playing their you know good basketball at once um so that's it definitely encouraging and uh yeah i i I'm definitely looking forward to this one though uh you know, I, I do think Michigan's a good basketball team that I, that I probably think has the edge in this one as they should in the two. I think 10 matchup. Yeah. I mean, that's,
1: that's kind of the reality. And, and, you know, Florida has this difficulty game in the second round because they struggled at home, but that's our show. Um, thanks everybody for, for listening. Remember to give us a like on, uh, Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, give us a rating, shoot us listener questions. Um, We really appreciate it and and enjoy the game. We'll be back.